Welcome, everyone, to an edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Lupo. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So the last couple episodes, I've deviated from my series on tyranny to look at a couple of contemporary issues, uh, one being a local school board meeting, another being a Governor Shapiro's discussion on uh, the death penalty. So th- today, uh, we're back to the series on tyranny. This might be the last one. Uh, we'll see. There might be one more after this, uh, but it all depends on how how far we get. So before we dive on into the topic of, of tyranny again, let's look at our passage of the day, which is related to the topic. And the passage is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Okay, so in this dialogue between the Jews, the Jewish leaders, and Jesus, he informs them that to abide in his word, to to listen and to obey the word of Christ, is the source, uh, the starting point for, for freedom. And it means listening to his teaching, his laws, his commands, and essentially rooting ourselves in Christ will nourish us. Later on, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the vine and they are the branches, and that those who abide in him will bear fruit and will remain. Um, and those who are cut off, well, they, they die, and they are burned in the fire. So everything is based on being rooted in Christ. And the result of this, because he is truth incarnate, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the result of, of being rooted in Christ is that you will know the truth. You can avoid deception, and the truth will set you free. And that's what it means to be truly free, is to be grounded and in covenant with Jesus. Now, the Jews in this dialogue are upset with with Jesus because they claim that they've never been slaves. Now, perhaps, give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they're just referring to them personally, that in, in their individual lives today, at that time, they were not slaves. And that's true. But as a people, the Jewish people have experienced slavery several times. The most well-known would have been slavery in Egypt. But there was also Babylon, captivity, being sent to Babylon, and also Rome. I mean, Israel was not free. The Jews were not free at this point in time. They were under the authority of Rome. So maybe they were only thinking of physical slavery in their lives. But either way, they ignore the fact that Jesus is talking about something deeper and more important than just physical slavery. And he points out that those who sin are slaves to sin. Now, they would say, well, we're children of Abraham. And Jesus will go on to talk about what it means to be a true child of Abraham. But the point is, is that sin is not something that sets you free. It is not a liberating activity. It is an enslaving one. It's a condemning one. Adam and Eve wanted liberation 
in the end, they got slavery and death. And Satan lied to them and promised them that they would be like God. They would be more free, have a better life, and be more powerful if they did sin. But the result was that they ended up in slavery and death because of it. And think of it this way. All slavery, physical, economic, political, all slavery, that all came after the fall. So in a sense, the fall of man, the, the entrance of sin into the world, the, the spiritual slavery of mankind is the seed by which everything else has sprung. Political slavery, economic slavery, physical slavery is all um, the fruit of spiritual slavery. And only Christ can set us free from sin. And if we are free from sin, then we truly are free. And there is more freedom that comes um, above and beyond that. And we're going to look at that in our discussion of tyranny today. So that's our passage of the other day. And we'll see how it applies here. But if you were listening to the last four uh, episodes or so on the topic of tyranny, you'll see that at the end of the day, it all is based on a person's understanding of God and understanding of man. It really is theological. The, the political realm, the economic realm, the concept of tyranny, it all starts. It all begins with theology. And let me give an example of that. So first of all, God is sovereign, right? As Christians, we believe God is sovereign. He is over all things, right? But if he is sovereign, then that means that he does have something to say about human behavior in every realm of life, family, church, business, education, government. God has something to say about it. He has established uh, rules for human behavior in which humans are to uh, flourish and are to do well, right? And he's established different areas of responsibility and authority, um, limits to power, so that people can do what they were designed to do, all right? So that's step one, sovereignty of God. Step two, fallen nature of man, the sinfulness of man. If humans are sinful, naturally fallen, then humans cannot be trusted with too much power. That kind of goes without saying. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, as Lord Acton taught. So mankind must be in subjection to God Man's rules, the rules that he makes up, must submit to God's rules. And man does not get to make up his own rules. And so human power must be limited in size, scope, and strength. So how many things does man control? How many things can he control within his grasp? How deep does that control go? Is he micromanaging every little thing? And how firm is that control? Um... Does, are the consequences severe? Is he brutal in how he punishes disobedience? So the size, scope, and strength of a person's power has to be limited. If it's unlimited, it turns him into a false god. Now, that is the basics of the Christian worldview. God is sovereign, man is fallen, period. And when you start with that, you automatically have a framework on which to develop a concept of economics or a concept of government, right? And that's what our founding fathers in the United States 
argued. James Madison said, if, if men were angels, there would be no need for government. And if government were made up of angels, there would be no need for checks and balances. He recognized the simple fact that humans are sinful, they're selfish, power corrupts, so you've got to spread it out and you've got to limit it. Now, the secular world, the non-believing world, also has a theology. It's a little different, right? It's rooted in, well, now it's rooted in evolutionary theory, the idea that there is no God, right? So if there is no God, then there's no ultimate authority. There's really no rules in this sandbox of Earth. We're all sitting in this sandbox, and there's no rules on how we're to behave. It's kind of choose-your-own-adventure. There's no law above man's law, so man can just make whatever laws he wants of the sandbox. So there's no God. That's step one for the unbelieving worldview. Step two is that man is inherently good, which is a strange concept, but completely opposite of the truth of the fallen nature of man. So we don't like to think of ourselves as sinful, depraved people. We we want to we want to shirk responsibility and pin it on others, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve blamed God. They blamed Satan. Adam blamed the woman. Everyone's everyone's blaming someone else. So humans today believe that man is inherently good, and that the only reason why there are problems is because of the environment. There's not enough food or not enough work or education is not quite right. All of the problems of society are not man's heart. They are the result of external factors that if you just tweak them, if you just correct them, if you set up the perfect environment, you will get the perfect man, the perfect government, the perfect utopia. This is pretty much described very succinctly by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, philosopher, and he argued this. He said in his work on the social contract theory that, quote, man is born free and everywhere is in chains, end quote, which is kind of striking how that's almost the exact opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said man is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and everyone does that. Um, but Rousseau says, no, 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 no. Man is born free. We are free, free, free. It's just we're in chains because of other things. It's not us. It's not me. It's something else, right? And here's the thing. Um, but even, even in the secular worldview, even if for some reason we acknowledge that humans are flawed, it's fixable. It just requires more therapy. It just requires genetic manipulation, better nutrition, exercise, education. You know, it's not that person's fault that they were that way. Um, we can fix it with technology, with surgery, um, with treatment. And if you do that, we can make man perfect. We can fix him. So either the, the world is broken and man is perfect, just fix the world and you fix all the problems. Or if man has some problems with him, he can fix himself. We can fix ourselves. We do not need a savior. We do not need God. In fact, We'll just save ourselves. Um, I think this is played out very well in the uh, universe of, of Star Trek. And I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but I do enjoy some of the films, one of which is called First Contact. And in that film, the, the villains 
are a race of beings called the Borg, and they are human and synthetic. They're basically cyborgs. Um, and the and the one villain, the queen, she uh, explains to one of the heroes of the film that their race is striving for a state of perfection, and that by by mixing the organic and the synthetic, by combining nature with technology, they were able to achieve perfection. So that is the the claim made by this this race. And really all that is, is an attempt at rebuilding Babel, that humans can rebuild Utopia, can rebuild the Garden of Eden, can bring back before the fall without God. Don't need God. We can actually do what Satan said. We can have a garden without our creator. Um, But the true hope for humanity in this concept, when we look at tyranny and the concept of of God's sovereignty and and man's depravity, the only hope for us is Christ. Not fixing our environment, not fixing ourselves, it's only the sun. The sun sets us free and we are free indeed. And this spiritual freedom sets the groundwork for everything else. Because like I said, sin entered the world before physical slavery, physical suffering did. Physical and political slavery is the fruit of a world that lives in sin. It's because, you know, what is it? It's nothing more than the abuse of power and the result of death and destruction. Now, if people, so let's start from the beginning. If, if we are slaves to sin, we cannot expect freedom. And why is that? Well, we become very easily manipulated. If a person is a slave to their money, they worship the god of mammon, right? They can be controlled just by controlling the money. Whoever controls the money controls the person. They can get their hooks in them, okay? Uh, if a person is so focused on worldly wealth, then the the bribing, so they can be bribed, they can compromise their morals by offering them worldly wealth. Or if you threaten to take away their worldly wealth, they will comply with whatever you want them to do. So humans do this all the time. We find what other people like or what they want or what they need, what they're obsessed with, what drives them or how to push their buttons, and we manipulate them by offering promises or by threatening punishment. Now, sometimes that's perfectly legitimate. The government does bear the sword, and there should be threats of punishment for those who commit wicked acts like murder and rape. Um, And there should be rewards for good behavior, of course. But there has to be a standard. Standard is God's standard. What does God say you are allowed to do within the realm of, 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 of punishment or blessing? But if you are a slave to sin, then you can easily be manipulated. And, um, you control that person. They can be coerced or tempted into doing whatever you want. Now, God has said that you may do certain things and you may exercise certain levels of influence on certain people. Parents have a realm of authority over their children and can influence them by offering rewards for good behavior and by offering discipline for for bad behavior, right? But there's a limit to what the parents can do 
that's set by God. And the children and the parents both need to be in submission to God because if the parents are not in submission to God, they could be commanding sin or prohibiting righteousness from their children. And if children uh, are in submission to God, then they are to obey God even if their parents command them to sin. So God has the ultimate authority and keeps everyone within their proper lane, maintains the rules of the sandbox in which everybody plays. And so you need to have that. And if you don't have God at the top, then what ends up happening is um, man will take that position, whether it's government, some kind of tyrant or an abusive parent or a bully in school. It doesn't matter. The, The vacuum must be filled. Now, if a person is a slave to sin, and then then they're not submitting to God, and so they will not really have any freedom because what they've really done is they have submitted themselves to a man's power and authority. Um, a person who is who is a slave to sin, it, you know, is very fearful, very focused on on the here and now, on themselves. Uh, they don't want to lose anything. Uh, they're very inward focused. They're they're unwilling to make bonds with others and to make sacrifices. Um, on behalf of others, because sin really is selfishness. It's, it's a it's a self-focus, right? They're unable to withstand the strength of anyone who would give them opposition. Um, and at the end of the day, if you have a group of individuals who are all slaves to sin, they have no real affection for each other. There's no real bonds of, strong bonds of family, and community, then they offer little resistance, and a tyrannical force can easily overwhelm and control them, manipulate them. And those who are enslaved to sin are very focused on immediate pleasure. They're not interested in building a legacy, building for the future. Um, They sacrifice others for their own pleasure, and they sacrifice tomorrow for today. They, They care about right now. And we see that even in our own government People, including our government, have no problem going into debt, and that debt gets passed on to the next generation, Um, but we don't really care about them because we are doing it for us. Um, We need the money now, and it's very selfish and and not sacrificial. Now, interestingly, uh, Israel, during during the time of Judges, was an idolatrous people, and they repeatedly were chasing after the idols of the pagans, and it got them into trouble. And what God did was gave them over to tyranny because of it. We see an example in the book of Judges, chapter 2. And here's what it says in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So the fact is, like, they, Israel, they began worshiping all of the gods of the peoples around them. And ironically, 
God gave them into slavery to those very same peoples whose gods they worshipped. So it's strange, but it's the way things function. Um, when you want an idol, that's what you get. And God says, fine, here you go. You get the full uh, fruit of that. Uh, they wanted the idols and they got the idols. And all the idols are tyrants. All of them. They're all false gods. They're all tyrants. And so they got tyranny. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were, they were not interested in pursuing justice. Everyone lived for themselves. And they were only focused on the here and the now. And of course, when they suffered under the tyranny of their neighbors, that's when they cried out to God. And he would rescue them. But immediately, they forgot God when things became good. And they started worshiping false gods again and getting back into slavery. And you see this uh, uh, present-focused mentality, even in the time of the kings. So in Hezekiah's day, when he was reigning, you see in Isaiah chapter uh, 39, Hezekiah welcomes the Babylonians to come into his um, temple and his palace, and and he shows them the treasure house. He shows them all the silver, the gold, the armory, everything, right? Kind of boasting and saying, hey, look at what I have here. Doesn't doesn't very doesn't go very well for him because that just entices the Babylonians to come take it all, right? Uh, here is what um, Isaiah the prophet says to Hezekiah after he does this. And verse 5 of chapter 39. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. So think about that. Isaiah the prophet warns Hezekiah and says, look what you just did. Because of your arrogance and your boastfulness, all the things that your fathers worked for, all the wealth that was created and produced and earned in the generations before you is going to be stolen by the Babylonians. And some of your own descendants, your own sons, are going to be made eunuchs. And they'll be taken over and they're going to serve the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah, all he's thinking about is himself. He's like, well, that's not bad, because at least there'll be peace and security in my days. He doesn't repent. He doesn't say sorry. He doesn't lament. He doesn't tear his clothes in sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't lament for the fact that all those who came before him, he just dishonored all those who came before him, and that all those who came after him will be enslaved and dishonored because of his actions. Not really. He is going to enjoy his life and he's going to live his life now. And he doesn't really need to care about tomorrow or about the past. And and the prophet Isaiah uh, sternly warns him about that. So I say all this to point out that when Christ sets us free from sin, that sets the stage for more and genuine freedom. And let me let me show you how that how that works. First of all, economic freedom, right? So economics just means the laws of the house. And if a, if a people are set free from their sins, they're not going to chase after worldly treasures. I mean, they'll 
they'll of course earn money and they'll save up, but they're going to be good stewards of their wealth. They're going to look about leaving an inheritance. They're going to be wise investors. They're going to think of long-term gains, not short-term profits. They're going to try to avoid getting into massive amounts of debt, and they're going to work on getting out of debt you know, quickly. They're going to work hard and build a legacy. And the result of this, all these actions is a genuine middle class. A middle class forms when these principles are lived out day, day by day. You, you get a genuine middle class of a nation. Uh, what about political freedom? Well, politics simply means the affairs of the city. So, But a person who is set free from sin, they respect their rulers, but they don't turn them into saviors and idols. They know the purpose of the rulers. They know the, their limits, and they know their own purpose as citizens. They obey God, even if their lives and their wealth is taken from them. They can't be forced to sin or to disobey Christ, and they build long-lasting relationships based on trust. They build communities, they build families and businesses, and they're able to withstand any aggression or mafia-style behavior of abusive rulers. They sacrifice for others, and they end up functioning as the best citizens, first serving God and then serving the civil magistrates. And they encourage their leaders to do good. They kind of guide their leaders and they encourage the rulers to stay in their lane, to, to do what they're supposed to do, to obey God and not make themselves into, um, you know, deities, you know, gods and, and, and lords like that. And then that leads to a legitimate political freedom over time. And these things take time, though. They don't happen in the immediate. They happen over the long term. So it, it takes generations. And that's why the blessings that we have in our nation today that all stems back to the Reformation and even before that, when the Western world adopted Christianity, when King Alfred uh, adopted Christianity and incorporated the Mosaic Law into his law code in medieval England in the 900s. And that sets the stage for Magna Carta, um, other, the concept of human rights, uh, limitations on, on, on kings, separation of powers, um, and that continues to grow during the time of the Reformation, time of the Puritans, until we get to here in the United States, where we have a more robust system of common law, uh, of, of Western laws, human rights, and things like that. But that, that all stems from a Christian worldview that does not come from uh, a secular evolutionary style worldview. So at the end of the day, True freedom always requires sacrifice, which and that's interesting because uh, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us, and that's why we can have true and genuine freedom. Now, we humans, we do celebrate sacrifices. Uh, we consider Memorial Day with those who died before us made sacrifices for our nation and for our community and for our culture. So we always talk about those veterans and those who gave themselves and paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. So we celebrate that because we understand that um, sacrifice for others does lead to freedom for others. But Jesus makes the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one that sets us free by his sacrifice. And because of that, we can follow in his example. We can't be the saviors for our children or for our community, but 
through our sacrifices, we can establish and preserve and protect the freedom of others. And that can be generational or national. Um, and I want to end with two statements. Two statements. The first is a statement about what liberty is, right? So this statement was uh, made by Cotton Mather, one of the early Puritans of living in the colonies uh, in America. And Alexis de Tocqueville quotes him in, in his book, Dem Democracy in America. He quotes Cotton Mather on this concept of liberty. What is liberty? And here's what he says, quote, Let us not be mistaken about what we must understand by our independence. There is, in fact, a kind of corrupt liberty, the use of which is common to animals, as it is to man, and which consists of doing whatever you please. This liberty is the enemy of all authority. It suffers all rules with impatience. With it, we become inferior to ourselves. It is the enemy of truth and peace, and God believed that he had to rise up against it. But there is a civil and moral liberty that finds its strength in union, and that the mission of power itself is to protect. It is the liberty to do without fear all that is just and good. This holy liberty we must defend at all costs, and if necessary, at risk of our life. So true liberty, true freedom, is the freedom to do what is right and good. The freedom to do what is just and good, as Cotton Mather says here. It is not the liberty to do whatever you want. That's not liberty. That's license, licentiousness. It's sin. So true freedom is freedom from sin and freedom to righteousness, to, to do righteousness and to live a righteous life, a virtuous life. And now I also want to end with this quote from John Adams. My wife and I recently watched the old HBO series on John Adams. That was pretty good. And they, I think they were fair, uh, fair to the historical accuracy of it as, as best they could be. But at the end of the season, they play a quote of John Adams. And this is a legitimate quote. He wrote this in a letter to his wife in 1777. All right. And he's talking about sacrifice. Uh, for future generations. And here's what, he's, here's what he says to her. He says, quote, Posterity, you will never know how much it cost the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. End quote. So John Adams is, in effect, he's talking to us. He's talking to the future and saying, we sacrificed so much that you could be free. Please use it well. And if you don't, I'm going to repent in heaven. So that's kind of a, a very strong statement. Uh, certainly he recognizes the existence of heaven. He wasn't, uh, he certainly was not an atheist. But the fact is, is that um, they recognized sacrifice and what sacrifice means. And we can sacrifice for the future so that they can have freedom. But that only works, that only actually happens if we recognize that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And we must first be set free from sin before we can be free in any other sense and before we can free others in any kind of sense. So that is the solution to tyranny. So with that said, I do hope that uh, you enjoyed this, this episode, that you would please share this show with a friend, a coworker, family member. Um, certainly all the reviews are very helpful. Uh, thumbs up stars, all those things are very good to get this to more to more folks. Um, and if you have any questions, of course, 
feel free to email me at the GBG podcast at gmail.com. You can go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can look up the GBG podcast or Governed by God and you can message me that way. So thank you again for joining me today. And until next time, take care and God bless.